0: Is Nehemiah chapters 4 through 7? We're not going to read all of that. I think I just want to give you that warning that we're not going to read all of that. We're going to read a, a little bit from, uh, from chapter 4. Um, I do want to encourage you to, to take a look at this uh, rather lengthy passage. It's not that long, it's only a couple of pages, really. I do want to encourage you to take a look at that a little bit later today or over the next few days. In fact, I would, I, I really, I know I've done this. Before I want to do this again, is to encourage you, before you come to church, in the days leading up to Sunday, um, look at the text. Uh, Look at where we're going, uh, so that you can be prepared for what we're going to think about, for for what we're going to talk about, for what we're going to consider and meditate on on a Sunday morning. Um, We're working our way through Nehemiah, so just keep on reading. Wherever we leave off, just go a little bit further and see where you end up. Uh, there, there, are, there are things that I know will crop up in your mind as you read the text. There are things, there are questions that are going to be a challenge to you. There are, there are issues that are going to be a surprise to you. Um, and, my, and my hope is that on Sunday mornings, uh, as, we, as we process some of these texts, some of the questions and concerns and surprises that you have in your daily readings, through Nehemiah. We're gonna have the chance to to encounter and we're gonna have the chance uh, for me to to share some reflections. And you can can always shoot me an email. You can always um, stick something on Facebook. You can always give me a call. And if you've got any questions about what you're reading, we can talk about these things and we can process these things together. Um, If I don't have an answer for you, I'll make one up. (laughs) No, (laughs) well I might. But if I don't have an answer, um, we'll we'll search for an answer together. I mean, that's one of the things that we're doing on Thursday mornings. I'm leading the Thursday morning Bible study. Um, It's from 8.30 till till 9.30. And we're we're slogging our way through the Beatitudes right now. And we're going to go through the rest of the the Sermon on the Mount on Thursday mornings. And one of the things that that, that we're doing is we're we're taking our time. And there's a lot of questions that are coming up. And um, as, as, as I say, sometimes I don't have the answer, and uh, usually I can make a good guess at the answer, or we can discern an answer together, or sometimes we'll pause and we'll say, let's come back to that, and let's see, you know, what, what the answer is, and we process that over the, over the days, and, and, we, and we readdress it the following week. So, I'd love that to be part of Sunday mornings as well, for you to be prepared. Um, Our worship's not just what we do in this hour. Our worship's all of our lives. Okay? And I would love for you to take the time during the week to prepare yourself for a Sunday morning. So as you are reading the text day by day, when you come on a Sunday, my hope is that that text that you have become familiar with (laughs) begins to come alive for you in a way that is life-giving. Uh, as we as we process that text, as we consider that text, as we more specifically listen for the voice of God through that text week by week. So that's my challenge and my encouragement to you. You're going to get something on a Sunday morning, but if you are prepared, you're going to get so much more out of what we do Sunday <coughs> by Sunday. So I encourage you to do that. Um, we're going to read um, not selections from the whole passage, but I want us to read just a few verses. In fact, the first 14 verses from uh, Nehemiah chapter 4. And please listen that we might hear the word of God. Now, when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. And he jeered at the Jews and he said, uh, in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of heaps of rubbish and the burned ones at that? When Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, yes, what, what, what they're building, uh, if, if a fox goes up on it, he'll break down their stone wall. Hear, O oh our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. And so we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together to half its height. For the people had a mind to work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashtarites heard uh, that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, They will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, You must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the, to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people don't be afraid of them remember the Lord who is great and is awesome and fight for your brothers your sons, your daughters your wives and your homes and then to verse 21 so we labored at the work and half of them held the spears from break of dawn until the stars came out <coughs> I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes and each kept his weapon at his right hand. The word of the Lord. Yes. Thanks be to God. Wow, what a, what a difficult passage this is. Uh, the reason I'm not reading the rest of the of the story uh, from from here for the, these these next few chapters is because the whole thing is about opposition, and the whole thing is about how Nehemiah, in the strength of the Lord, responded to that opposition, and the and the, the the whole section ends in uh, chapter seven with this whole list of all the people that came back into Jerusalem once the walls were rebuilt. The whole, the whole section ends with the walls being completed, the work being done even in the face of this, of this opposition. So as, as, as I read this section, there was a big question that kept on coming to me. And I don't know if this question would, would come to you. I don't know if this question has come to you as we've been going through this particular story as we've been kind of wrestling with some of these things over the last few weeks. One of the things that we've, that we've thought about is how, how Nehemiah did consistently respond to the opposition. That's, that, that's a thing that we've already considered. And that he responded because he knew that he was called by God. He responded in the strength of God. He knew that he was being faithful to the call that God had upon his life. And the call that God had upon the life of the people. And he was faithful in that. And we considered how he was faithful in the same way that our Lord Jesus was faithful. In fulfilling the task that that God had for him to go to the cross and to take upon himself the weight of the sin of all his people that they might know, that we might know forgiveness and newness of life and wholeness of life. So we thought about Nehemiah and how he responded to that opposition. But the question that I have had in my mind as I've pondered this text is, why the opposition? Where was it coming from? What was it rooted in? What was it it all about? Why? I mean, this was a great thing that that, that Nehemiah had been called to do. He was rebuilding. He was not just rebuilding the city, but he was rebuilding the people of God. As we've talked about, the city was a a symbol. That's all the city really was, was a symbol for God's people. As the city was rebuilt, so God's people were being rebuilt to fulfill the purpose that God had given them to be a light to the nations. Again, it points us to Jesus Christ, doesn't it? So where was this, this all coming from? Well, I think there are there are a few a few reasons, perhaps, I don't know, but I think there are a few reasons for this opposition that Nehemiah and God's people were, were facing from these others that were that were named in, in this passage and in other passages as well. And we've seen in the past how the opposition was not just coming from those who were outside of the people of God, but the opposition was coming also from those who were part of God's people. We saw that Sanballat himself came from a a small village just outside of Jerusalem. He was one of God's people, as it were. So what was at the root of this? Well, on the, I think at the most basic level, I think one of the things that is, is reflected in this, in this passage is disagreement gone horribly wrong, <laughs> disagreement gone horribly wrong, disagreement and uh, a discussion that has turned into uh, something far more insidious and something far more dangerous, uh, opposition to the work of God. Now. This passage, this whole story, is not just about disagreement. Uh, There's far more to it than that. But I think any opposition begins with some type of disagreement. And the issue is, what do you do with that disagreement? How do you address that? Well, if it's not addressed well, if it's not addressed in a healthy way, then it becomes opposition and it becomes... A battle of the wills of one against another, or one group against another. We've all seen this in churches, haven't we? Where you have different factions (laughs) that end up battling against each other, and it causes division within the church, and it causes brokenness in the church that is so difficult to heal. That's when disagreement becomes opposition. There's nothing wrong with disagreement. People can come to a place of disagreement, and at that place of disagreement, you sit down, don't you? And you you process where that disagreement is coming from. You process with the other in conversation where one is coming from, where the other is. It's something, it's something that, that in a healthy marriage we do all the time, isn't it? I wonder how many of you in your relationship with your spouse have never had any type of disagreement. Is everyone's marriage perfect? You've never disagreed with your spouse. You sit down, or you, ignore, you either sit down and talk about it, or you just ignore it. Right? Those are the two, those are the two options. But generally, I would hope that in a place of disagreement you sit down and you talk through the disagreement and you come to a place uh, of, of understanding. Maybe not a place of agreement, but you maybe come to a place, hopefully, of of understanding, so at least you understand where the other is coming from. Now, that's not what we have in this passage. It's not at all what we have in this passage. We have this, this strong Violent uh, opposition of one group towards another. So, where has this come from? What is this rooted in? Well, I want to suggest a couple of things that it might be rooted in. First of all, I think it's rooted in power. Uh, Power is always a danger. Uh, These uh, people's names who are mentioned. Uh, you 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 have sanballat you have tobiah and you have gershon and you have the others who are mentioned elsewhere in this uh, particular uh, book you find that these people all are in uh, uh, some type of position of power they have a level of authority and they have claimed that authority for themselves and nehemiah comes along uh, with as we've talked about this double authority First of all, the letters from the king that these folks think are probably forgeries. And then he comes in the authority of God. And they don't believe him at all. And the problem is in the fact that Nehemiah comes with a different level of power. He comes with a different level of power. Of authority and when he comes with authority when he comes in power it means that their power is becoming diminished and their power might even cease so the challenge is for those who have been in a position of power when that position of power is threatened by another by one who comes in the strength of the Lord When that power goes, it leads to, I think, the second reason uh, for this uh, opposition, and that's fear, and that's fear. They're afraid of losing their power, and more than that, they're afraid of, of things changing. They're afraid of things being different from how they, they were. There's, there's, the old, there's the old joke that's, that's told. Uh, how many Presbyterians does it take to change a light bulb? Change? What's change? <laughs> there's a sense in which change is always frightening. It was frightening for the people of God. Nehemiah came to rebuild, to do something new, to do something different. We've all seen churches that have faced change. We've all heard of different uh, church and, and, and communities of faith where they've been at a place where change has been absolutely necessary and yet the fear of change has not been enough to cause them to make the changes that are required for them to embrace all that God has in store for them friend of mine used to say until the fear of change becomes greater than the fear of not changing until the pain of change no i'm getting this all mixed up (laughs) (laughs) change is difficult that's what he used to say and people are afraid of change i can't i I, i'm gonna i'm gonna butcher that whole thing if i try and say it. i apologize But it's it's about power. It's about the fear of change. You see, God had called Nehemiah and God had called his people to be a light to the nations. God had called them to to be everything. God had called them to reflect his love and to reflect his goodness. God had called them to reflect His grace to the nations around them. And yet, all too often, God's people failed even to know that goodness and to know that grace in themselves. And when they didn't know that grace themselves, how could they possibly reflect that grace and that love and that light and that goodness? to the world around them. And Nehemiah came into their midst and said, this is what God's called us to do. This is who God's called us to be. Are you with me? And so many of them embraced it. My friends, God is calling us to be a light. God has called us, as we affirm again and again, to be a hub of caring to reflect the love of Jesus Christ. And He's called us to be that and to do that no matter what the cost. And so many of us have captured that vision and live in the light of that vision. I mean, look at that, look out that window. And see medical ministry there. The Medical Equipment Ministry. John, how many people, how many people come through those doors uh, week by week, month by month? We get uh, six to ten calls a day. People needing or wanting to donate equipment. On a Saturday, we're open 10 to 12. We get 20 to 25, 30 people coming through. Thursdays and Mondays, probably 10 to 12 people a day, each, each day, and then... This is a way that, in very real, very concrete terms, we are reflecting the light of Christ. We are being a hub of caring in the community to reflect the love of Jesus Christ. We've started work. We're about to to um, get some real work done. You're going to see work happening uh, beginning tomorrow in the birdhouse. And within the next few months, you're going to see that place utterly transformed. And you're going to see Habitat for Humanity uh, 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 take residence of the birdhouse. And we all know the work that Habitat for Humanity does, and we are going to be part of that, a hub of caring in the community. We partner with, with New City Kids. Uh, I, had, I had lunch with uh, Greg, one of their leaders uh, a few weeks ago. We're going to have folks from New City Kids here in worship next week. We're going to have some other mission partners here next week as well and we're going to hear about the work that they are doing. And we're part of that, friends. That's what God has called us to do in some very, very real, some very, very concrete ways. To be a light to all those around us. To be a hub of caring there are so many other opportunities for us to embrace the call that God has for each and every one of us and it's my challenge to you to embrace where God is calling you to be and where God is calling you to serve in the midst of this community that together we might be a light to our community around us and show Christ's reconciling love. Because that's what it's all about. It's not just about doing good things. I mean, we could be the, we could be the Rotary or the Lions Club or, or, or anything else if it's just about doing good things. But we are called to do good things because we want to show the love of Jesus Christ, the one who gave his very self For us, that we might have life in all its fullness. And if we know life in all its fullness, how selfish is it of us to keep that life and that light to ourselves. If we know the love of Jesus, we can't keep it to ourselves. We have to tell others and show others. For God so loved the world and he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Life in all its fullness. Friends, do you know that life? Do you know that love? If you don't I pray that you will know that life, and that light, and that love, and that forgiveness today. And if you do know that, then stop keeping it to yourself, and share it with those around you. (coughs) Begin with the medical equipment ministry. Begin with working alongside the deacons. Begin with New City Kids. Begin with Habitat for Humanity. Begin with the interfaith hospitality network. Begin somewhere and show others the love of Christ. The reconciling love. The love that is not in opposition. That's what reconciling means. It means to bring people together. To bring us together with one another but also to reconcile us back to God. To bring us back into a relationship with God. That's who we are. That's what we are called to be. That's what we are called to do. That was Nehemiah's task. And that is our task. That God has given to us. May we embrace that. And live that. And be all that God has called us to be. In the name of the Father. And of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The hymn.